All right, well, I'll just be brief because I'd really love to get um, Pastor Steve up to get going. Um, he's got a bit to share about the work that they've been involved in over many years, and I'll tell you what, there's a, there's a lot to say there. But um, I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know uh, Steve and Helen a little bit over the last couple of years, but particularly over the last couple of days as they've stayed with us. And we had uh, youth on Friday night, and then we had a group of, because they've done significant work in Vanuatu, and he'll talk more about that than better him than me. Um, but on, uh, we've got a group of Vanuatu workers in Naranda, and so we, one of our, um, I guess one of the things that we were really passionate about in having them come to visit us was to connect us with the Vanuatu uh, guys that were there. And so we, last night we had a, a beautiful meal. Um, someone cooked up a chicken curry and we had a barbecue and it was really nice to connect with some of our Vanuatu guys who are in our community and we're hoping that we can build on that relationship as well. So we've Friday night and Saturday night, then this morning in Naranda we had a great service this morning. So it's a real delight to introduce them. I just want to really honour them um, as I did this morning. I just really want to honour them for many years of faithful ministry, just really being obedient to the call of God upon their life. They're going to share with us on Tuesday night at Connect Group, but Thursday to our regional pastors. And one of the things I've said to Steve, feel to sh free to share whatever's on your heart. But I said, one of the things I admire about your ministry is you've been able to stay really focused on, even though you've been involved in church planting and uh, pastoring churches and then a lot of mission work in many countries, a lot of evangelistic work as well. You know, what I admire about them is they've been able to stay focused on what they feel God has really called them to. And I, I just think you'll pick that up today as they share. So I've said, can you just share a bit of that with our pastors on Thursday as well? But, you know, obviously be free to do whatever you want to do. But that's something that I think you'll pick up today. So hopefully you'll be inspired too with the same thing, to just really have a heart to, um, to just do whatever God wants you to do. And already we've got, that, got a pretty good sermon on that, Hilary. Thank you very much. That was excellent. So look, I just wonder if you'd join me in just really honouring uh, Pastor Steve and Helen. And as Steve comes to share the word with us, that would be much appreciated. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I'm on, am I? Is that, that sounds like it's going. It is. Fantastic. How you going, mate? Good. Got a good chef in the uh, house today. Okay. All right. That story was just fantastic. I felt like, how am I going to get up after that and be as expressive? And that's one of the nicest storytellings I've ever seen in my life. It was just absolutely fantastic. And I think the storyteller might be here. Am I right? <laughs> You've got a gift with that, you know. You are very, very gifted with that. That sort of thing could be done for children's ministries all over the place. Just got to get copyright on the books that you're reading now. <laughs> anyway, Steve and Helen, that's us. We come from Nelson Bay, Port Stephens, and um, haven't always lived there. We met in Bible College. They called it Commonwealth Bridal College. And uh, we met there and fulfilled the bridal uh, sort of mandate. And uh, we've been involved in ministry ever since. So um, I come from Victoria. Um, Helen was brought up in Papua New Guinea. Her parents were missionary pilots with MAF. Her dad was a chief pilot and engineer. And then from New Guinea went into Bougainville and pioneered a whole new field for missionary aviation fellowship. So Helen grew up in Papua New Guinea and um, although she doesn't look Papua New Guinean but she, she sort of is in her heart 
I grew up in country Victoria and uh, ended up at Bible school. My grandfather was a CRC pastor in the same denomination that we're connected with here today. Uh, he worked in churches in Melbourne. Then my father became a pastor, but there was no CRC where we were, so he became a pastor with Assemblies of God, but they're sort of the same. ACC, CRC, don't you see? It's all the same, you know. So anyway, uh, so I grew up in that Assemblies of God thing, became an Assemblies of God pastor. We got involved straight after Bible school and youth ministry, and we, we used to do quite a bit of music ministry, um, singing, guitar, keyboard, and went from place to place. We backed up some, uh, we, we ran youth groups, helped to plant a new church in Ichuka when we were just in our mid-twenties, and then sort of got involved in church planting and pastoral work, went up to Newcastle. So in 1982, before most of you were born, we went to Newcastle and um, worked in a large city church there and got involved in planting churches around the Hunter Valley. And so our normal week was very busy. So um, I sort of went out from that church and planted churches in Singleton and Musselbrook and uh, Coalfields and Maitland and East Maitland and Raymond Terrace and up to Port Macquarie and uh, stayed, in one, stayed in Maitland for six years, which was a tremendous era of our lives. Uh, tremendous numbers of people coming to Christ and then we were going out. So what we're doing here today is what I always used to do. I'd finish Sunday morning and I'd be out somewhere and preach Sunday afternoon and then get back and preach Sunday night. Because in those years we always, Sunday night was, sometimes in our church it was bigger than Sunday morning. Uh, just the way that we had we, Helen used to set up a lot of musical things, dramas and things, and so our Sunday night was very dramatic and it had a, a great pull on people, and so we were always, every week, seeing people come to Christ. In the middle of all of that, uh, one night, on a Sunday night, when people were coming forward to give their lives to Christ, I just had a flag went across my vision like that. And it didn't leave me, I had it so crystal clear, the shape of it, the colours, and you didn't have Google back then. In uh, 1987, there was no Google and we didn't have any uh, up-to-date encyclopedias. We couldn't find the map. And uh, three months later, I got a phone call to our home in Maitland and um, at midday, and a friend had called me and said, um, this pastor had gone to Vanuatu to hold crusades and and the National Conference of the Assemblies of God and he got sick, can I go tomorrow? Now I didn't have a passport, in fact I didn't even have a birth certificate with me and I was born in Victoria. Uh, two hours later they faxed a birth certificate to the passport office and I went to Newcastle and picked up my brand new passport and got tickets to a country I didn't even know where it was. And that was a bit, and I thought what am I going to preach for the next 10 days or whatever it was. Anyway. God pulled it all together. While I was still on the phone, Helen got the ironing board out and started ironing my clothes. <laughs> she knew I was going. That was the funniest. That's the thing I remember the most. Helen grabbed the ironing board and the iron and she got my clothes ready. So off I dumped on a plane, landed in Vanuatu, found out it was up in the South Pacific there. It used to be called New Hebrides. And uh, I stood in a tiny little terminal then in those years of the airport. And I heard a small plane pass the 
building and I turned around and looked out this window and here was a small local plane with the flag on the side of the plane, the very flag that I'd seen three months before. And like my hair on my arms and it stood out, I just felt this tingle of electricity and uh, what a time we had, what a time to see God moved by his Holy Spirit and we've never stopped since then. And it's become probably the, the largest field in some ways of what we do in the world. Following that on, God spoke certain things and we were able to move on from pastoral ministry. Uh, although from when we were home, we were home a lot in that time, we did start a couple more churches, but our heart was in the nations. And so off we went. And what makes you go out of your country to another country? What is it that would, would inspire somebody to do that. For, in my case, it took a pretty big uh, thing with that vision of the flag and then a couple of other things happened with some prophetic people and uh, my goodness, I had in my pocket of my jacket uh, tickets to fly across to Romania and Bulgaria and Hungary and preach the gospel in those countries and I went to a prophetic night and I was sitting down the back and the prophet stopped and pointed to me and he said, sir, up the back, the man up the back, come forward. And I stood up to come forward and as I'm walking forward, I'm walking through United Nations flags, like flags of every country. And this prophet's going, nations, nations, like there's nations. I see you and your wife going to countries like Romania and Hungary and Bulgaria. I had the tickets in my pocket. It was unbelievable. It just, I, I often need a pretty strong... Thing to tell me what to do <laughs> uh, because I always think that sort of stuff happens to other people you know anyway so we got involved in many nations and what is it that called you to go out there and I, and I thought how do I give a really uh, beautiful story when we've had such a good one already and I'm going to try and keep up with it all right I'm going to try and tell a story as good as we had already And so it was dinner time in hell. And there was this huge long table that went as far further than you could see. And people were sitting both sides of the table. And laid out on the table was beautiful food. And the people were sitting opposite each other all the way along the table. And this devil comes out and rings a bell. Boom, 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 boom. Dinner time in hell. All this lovely food. And the people didn't even give thanks. They just pulled their arms out from under the table. They had long forks strapped on their arms. And they would dig the food into the, the fork into the food and every single one of them, the forks were just too long. And they tried everything to get to the food but they couldn't get it. You know, they're, they're trying everything and they can't reach the food. And the atmosphere of this stuff that was available to them, but they couldn't get it into their mouth, and they had these great long forks strapped on their arms. And then suddenly, in this, in this dream, in this picture that I'm telling you, the vision of it switched into heaven. And again, there was this long table that stretched forever. People sitting opposite one another the whole way, down the length of this long, long, skinny table. And every incredible food you can think of spread before them. An angel came out and gave thanks and there was this incredible atmosphere of joy and it was dinner time in heaven. People pulled their arms out from under the table and, oh no, long forks 
great big long forks and they couldn't get them out. Uh, you know, they'd be too long to get the food off them. So the people just pulled their arms out from under the table and dived it into the food and lifted it for the person on the other side so that everybody understood their role was to give what they had. And when they started to do that, everybody was fed, everybody was blessed. And the difference was whether we're living for ourselves or living to be a blessing. Living to be a blessing. Some of us are called into different ways to bless. God calls, and I know that's not the only difference between heaven and hell, by the way. <laughs> it's not a very theologically sound dream, but it tells a good story. And I guess that what Helen and I had in our giftings and our background was part of what, why God spoke to us. Have you always felt about yourself like... Um, that you've limited yourself, you've really limited yourself because you don't have much self-confidence? Have you ever felt like um, God could use somebody could do the job much better than you? I think probably I wouldn't be the only one who spent a lot of my life feeling that way. Why would he use me when he could use somebody who could do it much better? And you tend to put this box around yourself and say, you know, I, I, I would love to, it's in my heart to do it, but I don't feel competent to do it, I feel um, inadequate. Inadequacy is a very limiting thing, isn't it? And when, when we were in Bible college, I had a tremendous sense of inadequacy. And while I, while I was praying one night in Bible school, I'd been really complaining to God because I would get sick nearly every day because of nervousness in college. I was actually sick, physically sick nearly every day. Very nervous and Helen knows that's true. She, had to, she was sort of my girlfriend then but she had to kind of nurse me a little bit. But I wasn't making it up, I just wasn't, wasn't had no self-confidence at all. And um, so I was praying one day and I, my prayers must have been pretty negative and I really felt the Holy Spirit pulled me up for a moment. And it went like this, Steve, you're really hindering me with these prayers. And I thought, oh. And then I suddenly saw an arm, about that much of the arm and the hand, and in the hand was this, what they call a sickle. And the sickle was like they still use in the Philippines for cutting the rice fields. Sharp, beautiful, sharp blade on this sickle, but the handle, that this hand, the handle was awful. It was just a piece of really horrible cut wood with splinters and everything and it was so hard to hold on to and God's saying you're pretty uncomfortable in my hands Steve but you know what he never threw me away the, the, the sickle never left his hand what he started to do was to shape the handle and make it comfortable and beautiful in his hand and I, and I noticed he tested a bit, shape it a bit until it was comfortable in his hand. And then the Lord spoke to me through that and he said, this is you, Steve. If you'll let me shape you, one day I will reach for you and you'll be comfortable in my hand and I'll use you in my harvest. The thing is, when we feel inadequate, it becomes a limiting thing. But if we let God be the one 
who decides where we're going. It's a little bit like the clay in the hands of the potter, what he makes of us, what he's got for us, what he shapes us for. Some of the things we'll show you here are just works which are our, our version of what God wants us to do, what he called us to. I won't take a long time on this, I'll try. Okay, where are we here? Off we go. This is in the Philippines, let's take the next one. This is a group of churches that we started six years ago on one island in the Philippines. A real word from the Holy Spirit. We knew God wanted us to do it. We didn't have money, we didn't have a strategy, we just knew the thing that God wanted to do to start to win souls on this island of one and a half million people. And uh, now in our network there we have 51 churches there in six years. And it's been uh, a tremendous move of God's Spirit. In these photos we had a, I think, go to the next one. Yeah, we had quite a large outreach in one of the towns. 1,300 people came out, we preached the gospel, hundreds came to Christ, uh, people got healed. My fav one of my favourite stories of the last few years was some of the miracles that happened in this kind of outreach. It's a big thing for us, a big part of what God called us to do. And uh, one of the testimonies there was a lady, uh, she'd been in a wheelchair for eight years. She was a well-known lady. I think she'd been a head, headmaster of a school in the town. And she'd been paralysed and wheelchair-bound for eight years. One of the things we always try to do is we don't want to go and say the Western missionary people have arrived and when we come, the miracles will happen and when we go, you'll wait for us to come back. We've tried everything we can to equip and inspire and work with those people so that they are equipped for ministry, like the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4. But our job is to bring people up to what God's got for them as well. So we'd worked with this, our main church and the young people, and God really spoke to my heart, don't lay hands on this lady, get a group of the young people to go behind her, put their hands on her. So they did that, about 10 or 12 young people, high school kids, who loved the Lord, they were baptised in the Holy Spirit, they loved the Lord, we'd, we'd prayed for them for miracles. They laid their hands on the lady and I just stood back from, from about here um, to Annette, and, and big thanks to Annette and Steve Avenus. And um, I just prayed a simple prayer, the kids had their hands on this lady and I knew immediately, like within two seconds, I stopped my prayer and said, oh, you can stand up now. And to everybody's shock, she stood straight up. And I said, come walk over here. She walked over to me and the place is, everybody is cheering because there's 1,300 people in this meeting and every eye was on this lady. It was like a bit of a test. I didn't really know the story until afterwards. But um, I said, why don't you go for a run around the hall? And she ran, she literally ran around that hall. And I looked around as, as I was watching her run around and here were these young people just on their faces, just tears just streaming out of their eyes that God had used them to do something amazing. And the story hasn't finished because it's still happening and we're not even there. Isn't that just the best? <laughs> Isn't that the best that we don't have to be the ones to, you know, keep making it happen, be the big name people, the ones who... And these are just lovely, precious young people in the Philippines. We love it 
it's tremendous and God's doing great miracles there and the church is just really flourishing and expanding. What's the next one? Oh, we run children's early learning centres there for families who can't afford to send their kids to school. Keep going. Uh, next one is Turkey. Sometimes we work in... So we've, we've actually ministered from in Russian Federation countries and Belarus, Poland, all those countries down through there. We've done a number of trips into Belarus and quite a, quite a lot of trips there helping plant churches and in Poland, preaching down through Romania, uh, in Estonia, which was part of the Soviet Union before, Bulgaria, Hungary, uh, Romania, did I say? Had, had saw some of God do some incredible things in some of those places. And, and, and Turkey. And this church we started just from a, from a dream, a dream that I, that I had in the middle of the night and the next day we drove down into Turkey, straight into the city that I'd seen in my dream. And so we now have that whole province, it's at Gallipoli, believe it or not. And it took us eight years from the original dream until we started to plant those churches. And Helen and I would go in there uh, once or twice a year. And we'd often take others in with us and pray over that city that we'd dreamed. And that was the first church we planted in that province. It's not unusual for, for provinces of Turkey to have no church. In fact, half of the nation, the provinces, have no church. It's only a few thousand Christians out of nearly 80 million people, Muslim people in Turkey. But it's going well. People are coming to meetings, getting saved, getting baptised. I think we've got a little baptism picture here. And so that's a small baptism, but nonetheless, it's a baptism. It's new people coming to Christ. And so whether it's those countries or... That's our sort of church growing things that we do. Growing new churches, planting new churches, working with fellowships within all of those different countries, whether it's Estonia or Poland or um, Hungary or wherever we've been through those years, um, planting new churches with them. Then there's other work that we do. Let's have a look. Where are we now? Just take the next one. You did really well to get this up. I, did, I forgot to give you the... Oh, we're still in Turkey. We take teams to these countries. Um, that's in Ephesus, I think, that one. Um, so where we are in Turkey with our churches, where we have now several groups now, it's grown into several groups, and um, we take Aussie teams over. That's close to Gallipoli. We were there for 2015, the 100th anniversary of Anzac, and we uh, put together, Helen worked for 18 months, I think it was, on this, where we prepared a team that uh, was Australians and a couple of New Zealanders and some Americans and we got the world champion unicyclists to come along and we got music team and about 50 of us. We started in Istanbul, Turkey, the capital of Turkey. Well, actually Ankara is the capital, but Istanbul is the biggest. And we went along from city to city until we got right there to Gallipoli. And every night we had concerts out in the open with the gospel, with singing, with love, with joy, sharing the love of Jesus amongst these Muslim towns. We had the authorities, we had the police trying to stop us and we just kept going and the people didn't want the police to stop it because it was so great. And we got to right up to Gallipoli at the city of Chinakale and there every afternoon and morning for three days we had 1,200 people each time out on the waterfront, Muslim people that we ministered to 
as our celebration of 100 years of Anzac heritage there at Gallipoli. It was just the most uh, tremendous thing, magnificent to do that. Just quietly got in and did it. Didn't draw a lot of attention to ourselves until it actually happened. And then it was a, a fabulous thing to do. We take people with us and they just, like, we go into all those places. We're right in the area of um, ancient Ephesus and Smyrna and all those places. But the other part is this thing like the table and lifting your hand and feeding the person on the other side. That's what this sort of one is about. I think there'll be another one in Vanuatu. This is uh, our Port Vila school that we built in the last several years. It's, don't worry about the circle, that, that's where all our early learning is. All our early learning now is where the circle is. So this is a bit of an old picture. Uh, the children, we give them meals every day because they come to school very hungry. I'm, I've been blocking the screen. Do you want me to start again? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Please don't start again. Uh, feed them every day and that's a great thing and that helps them to learn because they were going to sleep and not learning well. And so these are children whose families had no other means to get their kids into school. We're probably the only country in the world or the only ministry that plants schools everywhere for kids who can't pay. <laughs> it's because they can't pay that we do it. <laughs> Otherwise, um, they would miss out and the families may choose one of the boys to go to school. And so we thought that's just not, not good. So we've been doing this for many years in Vanuatu and, and it's just flourishing. Next one. Uh, yeah. Don't you love them? <laughs> Next one. Bit of a graduation. They love the hat things. Uh, we have uh, now vocational training schools as well for carpentry and construction and hospitality industries and things which we now do through, through our schools as well. And young people come from Australian schools to Vanuatu. We have a big accommodation there now. And they come and they spend, uh, I think, normally about a week or a little bit more in Vanuatu. And they come to the school and they interact with our school wherever they are. And then they go out to outer islands and interact with the schools and they do a bit of practical work. Um, and just this whole picture, I love this kind of picture because one guess who gets transformed the most in that picture? The Aussie kids. <laughs> Changes their lives to go on a mission and, uh, and so many of them find Christ. We've got lots of kids in our Christian schools who from broken homes and carrying so much baggage with them. And they go over amongst these beautiful young people, kids who don't have anything, but they've got Jesus. And that is the thing that just shouts out to our Australian students. And what are the real things that matter the most? This is uh, our son Jonathan with the grey shirt, organising containers. We send, we've sent um, dozens and dozens of containers of aid supplies into Vanuatu. On this case, we had the 2015 cyclone Pam through Vanuatu. You've probably heard about it in the news. The, the biggest cyclone ever in the southern hemisphere. Um, winds of... of uh, uh, 270 kilometres an hour, everything was flattened. So we had a, an immediate response and a way to help people rebuild homes and we rebuilt homes and we built brand new homes and we, somewhere between six and 800 families we rehoused over three years. 
We didn't just do it ourselves. We used our local men who worked with us. We had them working for us for those years to build homes for their own people. How much better is that than us going and doing it all? How much better is it when you help them and they've got brand new colour bond roofs and things they've never had in their life and a house that's cyclone rated, won't blow down, they can um, catch the water and put it in the water tanks and all the things they need, just in the name of Jesus. And so we did a lot of things. This was our, our supplies that were going constantly out to the islands because after that cyclone they had the Pacific drought, <coughs> 18 months it didn't rain in the Pacific Islands. So they lost all their crops and then they had a drought. So we were feeding whole communities. We're not, we're not a big ministry, right? So Helen and me, actually at the moment, we're the only ones who run our office and everything here in Australia. All of our teams are out, out in the countries. And this is what ended up happening after helping people. Now... What happens when you help people with no strings attached? God can start to open their eyes. How do I know it? Because in Matthew chapter 5, around the time of this cyclone, we had a very strong sense from the, the words of Jesus when he said, let your light so shine before all men that they may see. And that's what, that's what a light is normally for, isn't it? to open people's eyes, to give them a sense of something. Let your light so shine before all men that they may see. This is not about for ourselves. This isn't just the light illuminating everything for us. You know, we often think, oh, you know, it's giving light to the scriptures and that which it does. But his word is more than just a lamp for our proximity. It's also a light to the path, isn't it? Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. It's a lamp and a light. It's both a local light and it's a search light. And when you let your good works be done for people to see, as a shining of your light, the Bible then says, so that they may glorify the Father in heaven. These sorts of scenes were never seen in the Pacific Islands before, never. This is people coming to Christ. This is our getting up in front of them, setting up a stage, playing some worship and praise, preaching the gospel, seeing people healed, seeing people come to Christ as a direct connection with loving them, serving them, and loving them without strings attached. So we, we land our teams there before, a few days before, and we get permissions to go into the hospitals and the prisons and the schools and the main street and the big markets. This is Port Vila, Vanuatu, this, this one. And uh, the miracles started long before the meetings. And we had spent thousands of dollars on television and radio and newspapers and everything we could do to get people there. But on our first big crusade like this we did, a lady called Jackie Hall, Pastor Tim Hall's wife, took a team into the Port Vila Hospital. And they went in and prayed for a man who had been paralysed from a stroke, completely paralysed, for five days. Almost a week anyway, whatever it was. 
prayed for him and within one hour he walked out of the hospital. The doctor said, you don't need to be here anymore. And that, didn't, that news went, went better than all of the things we put together for the television and the radio. It was, they were talking about it through the city and bam, from the first night everyone was there. And they started to come while we're still constructing the stage and, and they were coming for prayer and we're praying for them on the grounds and they're getting healed on the grounds and people on the, the first night of these big crusades as they walking with their families to the event they were being healed as they walked there just to prove to us it's not about us not that I've got something fantastic or Pastor Tim Hall or the team that came with us it's not about our greatness whatsoever God could heal them on the way there because their faith was on display they were bringing their families they were walking for miles their faith was on display just like when Jesus said to the lady who who touched the hem of his garment you know your faith has made you whole so I'm giving you some highlights although we have many many highlights but I'm giving you highlights so that you just get the picture that this work of the kingdom of God when his kingdom starts to come, as we obey the call, as we love and serve, God can do amazing things. You may not, not see yourself personally, you may see yourself personally like I used to see myself, feeling a sense of inadequacy, my, my role will never be those things. It doesn't worry me if, if all of our roles aren't the same. The scripture says, in this body of Christ, every part of this body works together as as pastor trevor said in church this morning he talked about being knit together together and in the body of christ in the family of god we become functioning members of that one body every part supplying into the other and that's just how it works that's the beautiful way it works so to finish because i made a big mistake this morning I talked a long time like I did with the pictures and I didn't leave enough time to preach. <laughs> and, uh, and I apologise, I've almost done that again. But can I just say a couple of things for you before I... I haven't even read you any scripture verses yet. So anyway, that's about it. Oh, yeah, sorry. They're the most important people of all. That's our son Jonathan, his wife Abby, who's a girl from Vanuatu, and four of our grandchildren. Alyssa, Jeremy, James and Jediah. That's when they last headed to Vanuatu two and a half years ago and we haven't seen them. And we've been locked out and they've been locked in over because of COVID. And um, we wish we could. We have our tears sometimes when we still can't go. So anyway, that's us. <coughs> oh, oh, that's Turkey. Oh, we had that, didn't we? Yeah, we had that. I'm just interested in what the Spirit of God can do with a church. This is a very, very familiar environment for Helen and me because we spent years in church, in school halls, planting new churches, whether it was in Singleton or Musselbrook or Maitland or Raymond Terrace or uh, Port Macquarie. We were just in school halls for years. We know what it's like with sound systems and chairs and all the stuff. And it's a very familiar environment for us and we love this actually. This is to be treasured. The beginnings are to be treasured. And from, from my... To me it goes like this. <clears throat> Anybody...
can count the number of seeds in an apple. Gee, that's pretty, that's pretty deep, isn't it? Any person can count the number of seeds in an apple. But only God can count the number of apples in a seed. God knows what can grow from that which is done in faith. God knows what can grow out of that, what harvest can come from that. And another thing that we do, we need to think about is, what's a harvest look like? Basically from the Bible, we keep on thinking about that the harvest that God's talking about is only like huge fields of wheat like you have here around Kuhleman. You know, huge fields, a harvest field. But I've noticed that we can actually be growing, we don't realise it. A lot of the harvests that are growing, that we've planted for, are things like different, different harvests, like a grape harvest of things that happen in vines that spread out and keep on happening or a harvest that comes off the trees of apples and fruits. and uh, So a harvest can be a very different looking thing. The field of harvest, like wheat harvest, is out there and you reap that harvest, like those pictures of the big things there. But the other pictures of the churches that we've planted in so many countries that I don't even know the number of them now actually, but their harvest fields too and what they are is like really fruit bearing trees that go out and, another, and, and from that plant another one and another one and another one and another one and so across a whole island that harvest field looks like fruitful trees planted everywhere. Other places that we've worked um, it looks like vineyards where there is like people strategically placed by God, doing their work within the whole picture of the kingdom of God and harvest happening that way. So the harvest that this church will produce, thinking about the apple and the number of seeds in an apple or the number of apples that are in a seed, the best thing you can do is to plant the seed that you've got and not discard it with the consuming of the apple. You eat the apple and you, you create no harvest. You take the seeds and plant them, you've created the potential of a harvest. Keep going. Stay faithful. Stay with it. And this is what I would say. Always, always, always give room for the Holy Spirit. This is probably, for Helen and me, the largest secret of every good decision we've made of every very fruitful thing we've done is we've allowed room, time, listening time, seeking time, soaking time, worship time, all in the spirit, prayer time in the spirit, listening for his timing, listening for his will, listen for the Holy Spirit. And I believe if you do that, it's like when the spirit is in the church, the people will come. When the Spirit is not in the church, the work they... So, how, how does it go? The people will gather. I'll read it how I, I wrote it and it sounds better the way I, I wrote it. When the Spirit of God is at work in the church, the people will be drawn in. I totally believe that. Now, we've had for too many years now 
an idea that we have to sort of say to our community, hey guys, we're no different from you. That's, that's just honestly dumb. You imagine going to somebody who's going through all sorts of emotional trouble and everything and you go, oh, I know, I'm no different from you. Well, how are you going to help them? How, how would God help people who want to show everyone around them that they're no different, they've got the same burdens, they've got the same problems, they've got the same struggles? No, we are not the same. When the Holy Spirit is at work in the church, the people will be drawn in. When the Holy Spirit is not upon the church, the world will draw them in. And you could talk about time and time and time again over that that's been the experience of good things that God's planted and we've taken a bit of a wrong direction. We don't leave room for the Holy Spirit of God to do sovereign, spontaneous, powerful things and listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. There was a town in in the Hunter Valley that we'd prayed about for a couple of years to plant a church and everyone said, don't go there, Steve. We, we were only 26. That's pretty young to probably, you know, pretty young to be planting churches, but we already had been. But they're saying, don't go there. It's the pastor's graveyard. We've all tried. That's exactly what they said. We've all tried. It's a pastor's graveyard. It's not going to work. We just prayed. We waited on the timing of God. And the timing of God came at 11 o'clock one night when I got a phone call from a young couple, not Christians, and they'd had a little baby born with meningitis and it was dying in the hospital. Newcastle, Royal Newcastle Hospital at that time. So I went down and went up, prayed with them. And on the way up in the elevator... I felt the Holy Spirit say, you're walking into a miracle. So, great, okay, then I'll pray for the baby. And, I, and the matron, I don't call them matrons, I don't think you've got matrons anymore at the big hospitals, but she let me go into where the baby was in this humidity crib and open this little spot and put my hands in and pray over the baby. By this time it was about midnight. And then I prayed with the young couple and... Uh, blessed him and said, anything I can do, just call. About six o'clock the next morning, they're back on the phone. The baby had died. And I thought, well, I thought I was walking into a miracle, Lord. And the baby's died. Anyway, I went back down to the hospital. They were very upset. I cried with them, hugged them, prayed with them. They thought, your prayers don't work. They honestly did. She said, your prayers didn't help much. I didn't blame her saying that. Of course, how else would she feel? And later that day, they called me again. Would I do the funeral? I was 26 and I hadn't done a funeral before. My first funeral, the coffin's only this big. And I uh, got to the funeral directors and there's like 50 Harley Davidsons out the front. Someone's got a Harley out the front. But I said, who's got the Harley? Ah, good on you. This is not about the Harleys, right? And, and all these blokes all covered in tats and... And, you know, the patches on their backs and everything. Devil's henchmen. It was a motorcycle club that this family was associated with and the marijuana smokes everywhere. And I got, did the funeral. It was tough, but it was so beautiful, the presence of God. Talked with them after that. Next Sunday, that young couple came to church, gave their lives to Christ. And I found, we found out she was one of a family of ten kids. 
slowly they brought them all to church and they all got saved. And the father and mother got saved. And they were all from Maitland, the city we'd been praying for. And we started our church there because God started that at 11 o'clock one night from something that seemed like a disaster, seemed like we missed it, but it was God's time. Hundreds of people came to Christ. It was God's time. You don't know how it starts for a young church, a new church, a church plan. You don't know how it could start from a little hall like this. But if we let the Spirit lead the church, we listen for what the Spirit's doing. If we never lose that heart to reach out to people in need, you don't know what the Holy Spirit's got in mind. You don't know. And this can happen for, for all of us here. It can be that you reach out to some lady who lost her husband or to some family who lost one of their children. You can reach out in the love of Jesus and touch their lives and you don't know what God's going to do with that. Our first baptism there in that city of Maitland was 26 bikers from the Devil's Henchman Motorcycle Club. And uh, unfortunately, well fortunately it closed down a rebel motorcycle club because they all found Christ and, and that was pretty fantastic. Now of course that's an extreme example but I want to give you that kind of example to give you faith to believe that if you'll let the Holy Spirit move in the church, God can do fantastic things. The promise of Jesus was, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I believe it was always the intention of Jesus that the same spirit that was upon him would come upon his church. And when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came in, the, in Jerusalem and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says... This, it says, and that he filled the house where they were gathered on the day of Pentecost. But then it goes a step further. Because God had shown already in the Old Testament he could fill a house with his, with his glory. He filled his temple with his glory. It was fire and smoke and glory that no one could stand in that glory. But it doesn't say that any one of those people were filled with that glory, just the house. But now on the day of Pentecost, he filled the house, but then he filled them all. Filled them all with the power of the Holy Spirit. And why did he do that? He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me right out to the ends of the earth. We need the Holy Spirit here with us, among us, in our presence, and also filling us and there's expressions in the bible that we we can miss if we if we're not careful we find that through the book of acts this thing came time and again and the holy spirit fell upon them and that's a beautiful word in the bible it's called epipipto fell on them epipipto and the other time when you find this word in the bible was the story of the prodigal son of all places where this bloke had a big massive land and that one of the sons took his whole inheritance, wasted it, went out wasted it and in the end he's feeding pigs and eating pigs food to live. And then it says he came to his senses and he said to himself, I'll go back and become a servant in my father's house. So he'd gone from being an heir of everything to a servant, that's how much he lost. But the Bible says the father was watching from a long way off and he saw his, his son coming 
And the Bible says, and he ran to his son and fell upon him. Epipipto. The same word. Why does it use the same word? Because that word means the embrace of a father. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and your church and your kids, and your young people, and the Holy Spirit comes upon us, really the best thing about it is it's God's embrace. God like a father embracing us. It's not about do I deserve it? Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Am I holy enough? Have I been praying enough? Have I been reading enough? It's not about any of that. It's about you have a father who loves you, wants to embrace you and pour into you the same as the prodigal son's father. Poured his love into that son, accepted him back, put a ring on his finger, called him his son and had a feast that his son had come home. You know what happens when you receive the things of God's spirit? Everything, the promise of the father comes to you. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem, I'm sending the promise of the Father to you. You're not going to earn this, you don't have, you can't, you can't. You can't be good enough or too, too, too difficult, too bad, haven't read enough, haven't studied enough. No, he wants to fill you with the power of his Holy Spirit so that as a church, as a congregation, we're, we become Acts chapter 29. We're the next chapter of the book of Acts because it's continuing. It's a, it's a magnificent book, the book of Acts, and it's like as though it sort of ended, but it didn't feel like it really ended. And that's the best part about it because it's not just a history story. It's like the roots of what, what we are now. The, the whole thing is still growing up into this incredibly powerful, motivated groups of people around the world who with faith and diligence and prayer, togetherness, we can see God move all right. And oh, that he would do a move of his spirit here in Kuhlman. We don't know how it's going to happen, but we know it is. We know it's already started because God knows the number of apples in the seed that you're planting here. I wouldn't be surprised if it's quite wonderful. I'd like to pray um, for Annette and Steve. Uh, I'll get my wife Helen to come and Pastor Trevor. I don't plan these things, right? I didn't come and, and Annette didn't say, when you come, can you please pray over us or anything like that. I'm just flowing with... Did I read any, Bi any Bible verses? Oh, I think you well and truly fed us. Don't okay. you think you fed us? Okay. Okay. Oh, well. Um, now, this might be new to some of you. I don't know where you've all been at in your journey in, in God so far. Maybe not all of you have really reached out yet for everything God's got for you. But I tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it a thousand times over in your life. Um, also, Helen's got a beautiful um, sense in God of things, and I'm sure she's sensing a similar thing to me, that, that this is... Uh, we're in good ground here. We're in good ground here in Kuhlman. <laughs> Not only is it good for growing wheat and some other stuff, I don't know what else, it just looks like stalks in the ground at the moment, but I'm sure it grows good stuff, is that right? Oh, yes, it grows good stuff. I don't like putting Helen on the spot, but I know that she very often 
very spot on with things in the spirit, so, so that's fine. Do you love these two? How much do you love them? Look at the faces light. Look at the faces light up. That's fantastic. Yeah, actually, Steve. Yeah, I've been. I just couldn't help but. Uh, you're a pretty commanding-looking guy. You're pretty much into seeds. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> Here you are. And I think that there's a that which you uh, understand in the natural helps you to grab a thing like this. And I think that the seeds that you plant together as a couple into this community pray, get your people to pray over every seed that you plant. The Bible talks about the wise farmer who puts the seed in that it may receive the former and the latter rain and he doesn't sweat over it, he doesn't become anxious about it but it produce, produces a harvest. I really, I just ask you Father that those things which are in Steve in a professional level will find like a supercharge in his heart and his soul, mm -hmm. like a spirit of faith within him. Yeah. Yeah. With all that they sow into people's lives that is spiritually alive will produce spiritual life. Mm. But that which is spiritual is heavenly as from above. That which is of faith has the dynamic life of God in it. Like the woman who touched Jesus and he said, your faith has made you whole. Pray, Lord, that this same principle will be over his revelation of his life, Lord. That together as they work together, Father, that what they do will be life-giving. They work together with the one who is the life-giving spirit. I pray too, Lord, for him that um, a, a level of, of fellowship with the Holy Spirit God's word says the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that kind of identifies the work of Christ is the work of grace throughout the word of God. The work of the Father is the work of love. God is love. And whoever lives in, whoever lives in God lives in love. But the work of the Holy Spirit is a work of communion of God with you. And I ask and I pray you into a communion with the Spirit of God. And even together in your prayer life together and your talks and your discussions and your heart as you work together, let the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, partnership, union with the Holy Spirit, Make the things that you do come alive in the spirit. And the things that start as a simple word become actual, actualized by the spirit of God. 
We thank you for them. Father, we thank you for Annette. I'd like Helen to pray. I just sense Helen's got something to pray for you, Annette. I felt it all meeting, actually. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. It's the Lord who stands beside you. Everywhere you step, it's him who stands alongside you. Yes, amen. As you take the small steps and as you take larger steps, you need the faith. You need faith for the small steps, for the very ordinary, seemingly ordinary things, and you need faith for the big steps. But know this, that the Lord is the one who stands beside you. And I've been reading Zechariah chapter 4 a lot lately. And it's got a picture of the lampstand and it's so, I just love it so much. And it's like God's feeding me with it. Just the Holy Spirit continually feeding me. The Spirit coming into the church, his whole body. that keeps it alive in him. And there's two olive trees on left and right on either side of the lampstand. And those olive trees standing on the left and right are like God's standing guard because when the picture of the left and right, at his left and at your left and at your right um, is a picture of guarding, making sure that the oil is coming and flowing to his people, his people. And God makes sure, the Holy Spirit makes sure, standing alongside you, the Holy Spirit makes sure that his oil is coming, flowing into you as you yeah. receive, as you receive. The same as in the lampstand, the bowl received, the channels receive the oil. And just um, know that it's God who stands alongside you as yes. you go. And he will make sure that you are filled with his spirit. You are filled with the oil of anointing for everything that he asks you to do. Yes, amen. Yes, amen. Praise your Lord. Hallelujah. I pray for boldness over them, Father. Holy boldness. Mm -hmm. To know when to never accept the word no Mm. in what you have have promised them. Mm. Even if authorities or councils or people or families or things just say no. Let them, Lord, never stop at the no. But actually, I see you breaking through to the yes. Mm. (laughs) Oh, honestly, I do. I see you as people who are going to hold on uh, in faith and actively not say yes to the no. Because God will bring the yes again and again, again and again. Mm. Keep on what you're doing. Keep on serving. Keep on dreaming with God. Dreaming with God. Here's a beautiful phrase. Dreaming with God. God, God's dreams in your hearts. Because I know I can sense and it, it's as clear as anything. Your heart is not about your own leadership or your own uh, status in the group. Your heart is for people. And the Bible says Jesus went about the villages and the cities and he preached in their synagogues and in all the places. Healed everybody and all their diseases preached the gospel of the kingdom and when he saw the multitudes of people he had compassion upon them and saw them as sheep who had no shepherd God's going to send you out amongst sheep who have no shepherd 
devil's no shepherd. Loneliness is no shepherd. The wisdom of this world is no shepherd. The wealth of this world is no shepherd. There is one shepherd and his name is Jesus. And Jesus saw them as people who had no shepherd for their soul. And we call you to this here in your region. This compassion to see the people, even some of them might drive you crazy, their, their language or their lifestyle or the way they are might drive you crazy, but I pray over you the same mercy and compassion sees them as sheep who have no shepherd. And you know what Jesus did then? He sent out his disciples and said, now you go out and do that. I send you out. And that's when he sent them out, based on his compassion for those who had no shepherd. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Win souls. See them filled with the Holy Spirit. Be bold and be strong for the Lord your God is with you.